Hello, hello. Welcome back, Leading Women in Tech. Let's talk boundaries, 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 boundaries. I am such a big fan of boundaries, and yet I know for so many of us, they are the thing that we struggle with. I've had this episode planned for a while. In fact, if you're in Lit Up Leisure Academy, I actually did a whole month of training on this back in October last year. And it's just such an important topic for so many of us around making sure that we are set up for success, that I felt we needed to come on the podcast and have the conversation as well. And it's actually ironic, like this has been planned for a while, but I just got off a call with a client who was saying, oh, I don't like structure and I don't like process. And I feel like these boundaries are just restriction and I resist them. And I'm like, are they really? Or is that your head telling you that? (laughs) And part of what I want to dive into with you today on this episode of the podcast is how boundaries should give us more freedom. And it's really about looking at them from a different lens and designing them with that lens rather than designing them from a place of restriction, which most of us do not like. Welcome to the Leading Women in Tech podcast, the show that celebrates women in technology leadership. I'm your host, Tony Collis, and this podcast is the result of my passion for building better tech by diversifying the leadership of the technology sector. Join me on this journey as I discuss all things leadership, what it takes to be innovative, breaking through the glass ceiling, be a great leader, and how to navigate the unique experiences we face as women in tech. So sit back, grab your headphones, and get ready to be inspired to become a better leader. So here's the thing that you likely already know, at least logically. Boundaries are crucial for our professional lives, serving as a guideline to help us maintain separation between different parts of our lives, between work and play, between family and friends, between work and family and everything. It helps to differentiate between all these different buckets that we exist in. When we don't have boundaries and those boundaries are therefore blurred, like we need a different word there than boundaries being blurred, when we don't have boundaries, you get my gist, I hope. (laughs) Without those clear boundaries, it's all a mishmash and suddenly you can't help but thinking of all of the personal stuff at work and you're laying awake at two o'clock in the morning thinking about all the work things when you should be sleeping or worse, you are sat at the dinner table where your kids are there, they're trying to get your attention and you're on your phone doing your email. Without boundaries, then it just becomes vague. It's overwhelming, it's exhausting, it drains us, ultimately leads to burnout and having massive negative effects on our health. I think boundaries really underpin our success. They underpin our ability to deliver great things and they underpin our ability to not get burnt out. Ultimately, they underpin whether or not you stay in tech, whether or not you stay in leadership. Because of course, as a leader, your boundaries are going to be more challenged. I do wonder how many of the high attrition rates for women in tech is partly because of boundaries. Our boundaries are pushed so hard as women. And I think the tech industry with its still masculine overtones, let's just be honest about it, it's still male dominated. They don't understand the challenges that we have, how much of our burnout that results in women leaving the tech industry for good or stepping back from leadership position because it's just, I don't want this, is actually related to our boundaries. And I do want to be upfront and honest here. Men should have boundaries too. I work with 
people enough to know that my clients are like, oh my gosh, I need to get my husband to do this. I don't work with men. My husband benefits from my boundary setting. I will tell you that, right? He has the same issues. But their boundaries are just not challenged as much. We still live in a society where things are very asymmetrical. We're far more likely to be doing childcare, parental care. We're far more likely to be the one responsible for just project managing our family life, right? Figuring out the kids need to go to soccer practice or somebody needs to go and get medication or go to a doctor's appointment. That still falls on women more than men. Not every household, but it's still there. And then in addition to that, at work, the boundaries are a lot more squishy. That comes from two sources. There is us, that we have a role here. As society has indoctrinated us, I want to say, I'm not actually sure if this is nature or nurture, so it might not be that society is entirely indoctrinated us, but there is this nurturing aspect to us as women. We want to take care of people. We want to naturally make sure that our team is doing well. We, we care more about them and therefore our boundaries get challenged when we hear somebody's having a bad day. On average, again, remember these are bell curves. There are plenty of men doing that too. And there are women, plenty of women who just ignore that. But you know, the number of conversations I have where, um, again, a conversation I had earlier today with a lady I was, I'm coaching as an executive, and she's just had to let go of some of her workforce. And she's like, just had to have the space. I know I was the right person in the business to do this because I can hold that space. But it really challenged my boundaries. Yes, she did it because she has the empathy to be able to sit there and say that this is not about you, it's about the company. This is not about your performance. This is that we need to downsize as a company. She was asked to do this because she's so good at it. And that adds a burden which tests her boundaries. We had a long conversation about how she needed to make sure that she didn't take that home for the weekend because I'm recording this on a Friday. And she will be thinking about it the weekend because she's human, but we want to minimize it. We want to have a boundary in place to protect herself. And so there are more challenges to our boundaries as women, which is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to have this conversation. And if you are listening to this as a man, I know we have male listeners. Hello, <laughs> you are welcome to be here. Everything I say on this podcast applies to men too. I just feel that a lot of what we discuss on this podcast it's more necessary for women because we are so much more challenged in certain aspects of the stuff that we talk about a lot on the, in this program. And I just feel that that is something that we need to be open and honest about. So if you're a man listening to this, you need to take everything I'm saying on board here too. Just I'm aware that there is a definite gender difference on average. And again, like generalizations, I'm talking general population. <laughs> if you're a woman who's there going, no, I have kick-ass boundaries, listen to this so you can help your team but be cool about that. Like, great, I applaud you. And equally, if you're a man listening to this going, I everything she's just described about being responsible for all those things, and I'm always the one rolled out, um, but I'm not a woman. That's okay. It's bell curves. It's generalizations. It's not perfect. But we're having this conversation because so many of the women I work with burn out because of lack of boundaries. So what really happens when we don't maintain our boundaries and we end up falling into this trap of leaving stuff in the wrong place? We leave work and at the end of the day, we fail to transition to the personal life. We end up saying yes to everything in our personal lives and then struggle to get the work done and feel guilty. We want to be agreeable and accommodating. We're a bit of a people pleaser. But when we maintain this imbalance, it takes a massive toll on our well-being, ultimately burnout, exhaustion and irritability. If you find yourself snapping at your kids, 
Have a look at your boundaries. Where are your boundaries? Have a good look at that. Same thing with any person in your private life. I deliberately use word private. That person that you let your guard down around. The person you can be your whole self. You don't have a mask on. You're not thinking about what they're going to be thinking of you. You, you, you lose your temper with them more than anybody else. Whoever that is in your life, if you see a ramp up in irritability, that's stress probably, talking, have a look at if your boundaries and people pleasing, being agreeable and accommodating to the rest of the world is causing that to come home. Just check in on that. So let's dig in a little bit more on what we're talking about with workplace boundaries. So I want to give you some examples, things that you might be thinking you're implementing. Let's see if you are implementing them. If you're setting boundaries the first time, the first step is having the self-awareness to know your limits and protect your well-being. Do you have limits about when you finish work? Do you have a boundary around finishing work? Do you have boundaries around responding to clients out of hours, responding to team members out of hours? Do you have boundaries around just how responsive you are? Learn where your natural boundaries already are. There might be none. You might just be always available. To some extent, what we're talking about here with boundaries is availability of you. Availability of you and your ability to say no to things so that you can say yes to other things, by the way. (laughs) But know where you currently are. Do a little bit of an audit. Do you clearly communicate your needs? Are you assertive and direct about those essential boundaries? Or do you have a boundary in your head and then you get all squishy because you're worried about upsetting somebody? I do that, like, hands up, like, I do that one. You just don't want to say, oh, but I don't want to do that, right? I want you to figure out where your boundaries are. Follow yourself around for a week with a piece of paper. I'm like, where did I get squishy? Where did I want to say no, but I said yes? Or where did I lean into something that I probably shouldn't have done? Or where was I checking email because I needed that instant gratification of the scroll, right? Have a look at your squishiness and and understand yourself. Learn what it takes to say no. Do do you ever say no to anything when somebody pushes your boundary? What does it take inside you? What happens without, I don't want you to change your behavior. I just want you to observe initially. Like what happens that causes you to say no? It might be really helpful to just understand like what's going on first of all because we're then going to work on practicing self-care right and some extent we're going to try and learn to delegate our practice of self-care we're going to like put it external so we're not always tested this comes from how bad we are at making decisions when we're tired and stressed and anxious I for one did not sleep well last night terrible night's sleep got up this morning I was fully planning to fast today. I do have a practice intermittent fasting, fully intended to fast today. It's, you know, a good t- it was a good day for me to fast, logically. Oh my God, you could have put a piece of cake in front of me this morning and I would have just eaten the whole lot, eight o'clock this morning. <laughs> I was just like, I have no willpower. I'm exhausted. Just, I'm just going to eat today, right? There's definitely something that comes out with me, like intermittent fasting requires some willpower. None, right? What we want to do in certain situations is delegate our practice of self-care, delegate our boundary setting, put in place things that mean we don't have to be tested around it. So for example, if one of your things is being always available to answer emails, say to your team, I don't answer emails after hours anymore, or 
I only answer emails at these certain times of the day. And then the key thing is educate your team that you're not going to respond. That might take some time. It That might, for some of us, that's enough in that we've delegated that action of self-care to be, nobody's expecting something of me, so I don't need to check, right? It lets go of that pressure. Other people, that's not enough. I certainly find like when I'm really stressed, it's almost like checking email is just like, oh, that's going to make me feel better. It never does, right? So there you want to remove the app from your phone or have a timeout setting on your phone. Some phones, Apple in particular, I know, I don't know about Android, sorry, but you can have it so that certain apps are not available at certain times. And it might be that something like that is just really good for you, like to put a boundary physically in place. You delegate the decision of taking care of yourself. Does that make sense? But boundaries go well beyond that. There's the art of saying no. There's identifying the responsibility of your job. There's being honest. Yes. Being honest is a boundary. How many times have you been a bit cagey because you don't want to upset the person in front of you? There is establishing clear schedules. There's understanding your workload and setting limits. Taking time off without feeling guilty. Setting priorities. Delegating where needed. So again, this comes to a conversation I've had in the last couple of days with a client. This woman is in charge of the technical division of her entire company. And she has started being asked to do sales activities. She understands sales really well. She's very good at being in the room with clients. She's often brought on board for onboarding a client to understand their technical challenges. And so she's been getting more and more involved in the sales side of things. And I said to her, do you want to be? Do you want to be doing that? There's nothing wrong if you do, but do you want to be? Because it sounds like they're just putting this on you and nobody's actually asked. And she was like, well, I don't mind it. And I was like, well, if you had to choose between two, which one would you choose? And she was like, it wouldn't be sales. I was like, okay, so what boundaries do you need to put in place to make sure you still have time for the other stuff, even if you want to be involved in the sales side? She's like, I hadn't even thought of that. It would be very easy for her to accidentally move away from what she loves doing because somebody's really decided she's good at this. And it's about having that confidence to put a boundary up and saying, there's something here that doesn't quite align with me. There's also the boundaries around doing all the work. How many times have you started doing work because you're really good at it? I do this one all the time. I would just be like, I'll just do that. I'm good at that. And I'll end up writing a report, a document, a slide deck. And I'm thinking to myself, wait, hold on. I have a team to do this for me. <laughs> Why am I doing this? I should be consulting. I should be the expert consultant on these things. I should be the one playing around with colors and graphics and t- copywriting. Copywriting is not my forte. I should not be the one doing that. If you are a leader in an organization, what is your zone of genius? Do you know your zone of genius? Do you have boundaries around what is not in your zone of genius and delegating that to somebody else? Ideally, delegating to somebody whose zone of genius is the thing that you don't want to do. <laughs> That's even better. But so much of the time, we don't delegate because there's some need to hold on to information, to hold on to it. It'd just be easier if I do this myself rather than handing it off. It just took me five minutes, three hours later, you're still there. And we forget that actually somebody else, this is their zone of genius. That's why they were hired. And that's precisely why we should be delegating it. But you've got to understand your workload. You've got to understand your limits. You've got to have the self-awareness to know you're falling into this trap without guilt, without beating yourself up for, for feeling this way and for still allowing yourself to do fun things. I'm not saying don't do fun things. If you want to do something, do it. But just sanity check. Have you got boundaries in the right place? 
Are you setting your priorities in, at work accordingly? Are you delegating where needed? Where are those boundaries? That also brings me to other boundaries, right? There's physical boundaries to establish how others interact with you. And a lot of the time that's things such as maybe you don't go into the office. That's a physical boundary. Maybe when you are with people, you're somebody who likes a lot of physical distance. I tend to find that when I travel to different countries, and I've traveled a lot over the years for work, there are some countries which they stand so close. I'm like, oh my God. And then other countries where I stand too close and people are backing off. And you get to decide where your comfortable physical boundary is with people, for example. Physical boundaries is really, really important. We don't think about it, but it causes stress when it's challenged. I had a colleague many years ago now who honestly threatened threatened how I felt. Let's go with that. Wasn't intentional. This colleague had no idea, but he felt very threatening to me. And I learned to always put a table beside between me and him. It made me calmer. I think with the benefit of hindsight, I've got some coaching and therapy around it. <laughs> like what was really going on? It's so long ago. I, I don't have the insight anymore to understand why I felt so threatened. Was there something legit there that I needed to work on? But I put a physical boundary in place to support myself. I worked with a lady years and years ago who had osteoarthritis and she refused to shake, shake hands with people because she'd had bones in her and crushed too many times from that really firm, dominating handshake that's so popular out there. So she had a physical boundary. Those ones are less obvious. But then there's emotional boundaries, right? And this is executive presence land. When you separate your feelings from someone else's. And this is a great coaching technique. If you are coaching as part of your leadership, you want to empathize, but not take that person's emotions on. You shouldn't be lying awake at night thinking about how sad a member of your team is. You should be able to let go. When you do this, it's a truly beautiful thing because you are able to be more there with somebody in the moment when you do this. I've had to learn to do this as a coach. I don't take my client's problems home with me. I work at home, but I don't take them out of my office door with me. Very occasionally I do. There are certain things that will sit with me and I need to decompress, need to deal with it in another way. But most of the time I don't. And I deal with a lot of challenging topics on a daily basis. It is my job. Here's the thing I've learned. Because I park my emotions at my office door, I park my emotions between one client to the next, I am so much more with the individual who needs me in that moment. I'm so much more present for them. I'm so much more able to support them. I will cry with a client. I have done that over the years. Not very often, but I do. Uh, and I'm very with them in that moment, but I don't take it with me. I don't take it home with me. Having that emotional boundary, which is sort of a form of mental boundaries, can protect your energy, your thoughts, your values. And from the executive presence angle, you want to leave emotions from one meeting in that meeting and go to the next with a completely different set of emotions. How many of us have experienced that leader who comes into the room and you're like, what has happened? They're all over the place. They're angry. They're sharp. They're thirsty. I'm like, there is nothing in this conversation that's helpful. They have brought their emotions from one aspect of their life to this. How many times have you seen that person who is burnt out by sick kids, which we all empathize around, but it means they take it out on everybody else around them. And honestly, they start losing respect. I'm not saying you shouldn't have emotions around your kids being sick. You know, I mean, I'm talking like colds and flu here. I'm not talking life raining. I think you have every right to be very upset and anxious if something's very serious is going on. But I'm talking about the stuff that you know is inevitable as a parent. 
your kids are going to get sick, right? It's kind of sadly part of the deal until we come up with some miracle thing. How would it be to be able to actually park that at the office door and not feel guilt about doing that? Park it at the office door, do a day's work, do a great day's work because you're on point. You're always available during the day because the phone is there and you can switch it on when you need to if there's an emergency. But at the end of the day, you know you've done a great day's work and you park your day's work stuff there. There's a boundary, work leaves there and you switch back into mum mode. And you go home, you're 100% there with your kids. When you don't have those boundaries between your different lives, you're carrying both all day. The kids are sick, you're carrying that through work. You make less good decisions, you're finding work harder. You feel guilt, so you take the guilt home with you. You're trying to do work after hours. You're feeling less good about it. That means you have less time for the kids, which means they're upset and anxious, and it snowballs. I just painted this lovely picture of parking, and you're thinking, how do you do that? But also guilt, right? If that's you, I get you. I want you to know it is possible. It takes practice and it takes time and patience, but it is about learning how to have the boundary of the world is not going to end if I move into this state for the next couple of hours. There's an emergency call out. I have a phone. The right people know what to do in an emergency. But right here, right now, this is what I'm going to focus on because the world is okay. And allowing yourself, giving yourself permission to step into a different version of you by having those mental boundaries. This is the magic of boundaries. It's not straightforward to get there, but it takes awareness. It takes mindset work. It takes allowing yourself permission to not feel guilt. I sometimes work with people where they feel guilty about feeling guilty. I've I've been there. (laughs) I've been there so much earlier on in my life. I have guilt about feeling the guilt and I have guilt about wanting to let go of the guilt. And it's just like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to let go of this. The first step, the first step is to decide you don't have any guilt here. There's no guilt to have. There's no guilt going from one meeting to the next and not feeling emotional. You can leave it there. It's okay. The world will not end. It's okay to leave your emotions at home when it's about your family. And it's okay to leave your emotions at work when it's about work. The world will not end if you do that. When we don't do this, burnout quietly sneaks up in this least subtle little ways. We make less good decisions. We're less productive. (laughs) And our whole life bleeds into one mess. And while I do say to people, I coach the whole human. I don't just coach, coach the work you because you are one human. You're one human. You're interconnected. But part of being one human is going, this is the bit I'm working on right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this part of me over here. And there's nothing wrong with that. Recognizing the small signs of potential issues around this is so important. Burnout is a real thing that we all need to be looking out for. And boundaries aren't just about productivity. It is about giving you resilience and the enthusiasm that means the stressful work, too many responsibilities, don't bring you down. And remember, you get burnout from home as well as work, right? And I, I see actually the tension between our personal and work lives calling burnout in its own right. It isn't work and it isn't home. It's the tension between the two that causes the burnout, that stress. It can feel so exhausting when you start noticing that you're disconnecting from friends and family and feeling unaccomplished. And that enters this negative downward spiral You may find that it's difficult to engage in activities that you normally find meaningful. And you're finding that things that you would have previously loved 
to do. You no longer care for. I certainly find when I'm approaching burnout, and this happened at the end of last year after my dad died, I stopped doing all my self-care. I just stopped some of my things. I was kind of shocked a couple of weeks ago, thinking, gosh, I have not been doing that. Why have I not been doing that? It was applying a particular face cream. I only do it once a week. It's a nice face cream that's supposed to prolong how young I look, something like that. (laughs) And I think to myself, oh, it's just, you know, it's one of those silly things. But I have to do it in a particular way and it's not always out. And I just stopped thinking about it. I just stopped practicing self-care. The things that are in my calendar, I still did. So I still was going for facials because I do that regularly. And, you know, I'd still do the laundry because I need to. That's a form of self-care, in my opinion. Doing laundry is a form of self-care around here. (laughs) And things that were just like non-negotiable because they're in my calendar or not doing laundry, like kind of goes bad, right? Those happened, but it was the things that were just for me. Nothing else was depending on it that I let go of. So I want you to have a look out for that kind of thing. You may find that you just have a sense of hopelessness and you just don't want to engage in it. It's worth having a look at your boundaries. And as I've hinted at, there are going to be times when your boundaries wobble. Losing my dad last year, I definitely found my boundaries wobbled. I didn't have those really clear separations. I was really good at separating that from coaching. I made several of my clients cry by talking about my dad dying in a sense of a, as a teaching moment. They're like, oh my God, how can you talk about this? I'm like, boundaries. <laughs> I'm able to talk about it. But the rest of my life, I just, the boundaries were going. And it was because I was struggling with sleep, struggling with wrapped up in my own head, my own thoughts around the situation. That created a lack of motivation because I was tired and very easily led me to, gosh, how can I do all these things? Started procrastinating on my responsibilities. Then the stress goes up, the sleep gets worse. You see the issue here. To avoid or mitigate burnout, and so this is some of the stuff I was doing at the end of last year to really like stop its progression. I realized I was getting there. I needed to stop its progression and then I needed some time off. We want a toolkit for you. We want a toolkit of strategies for those boundaries at working at home. And there will be times like my autumn last year where those boundaries fail or get squishy. That's okay. What we want to do is minimize how often this happens. This toolkit of yours is going to make a difference when you put it into regular practice. And that's the key thing. It is about making this a regular thing that you do. So it's been very easy for me to get back into my boundaries and schedule. Now that I've recovered a little bit, I had Christmas to recover. And I started January, I was like, I'm on fire. It's like, I just needed that break at Christmas to recover emotionally. And I was like, yeah, I'm back. Right, But I had that structure ready and waiting for me. So however busy your day is, however busy your time is, I want you to create structure. I want you to have tools for saying no to relentless demands. I want you to have tools for turning off your people pleasing. I want you to also learn how to refrain from being your family's project manager (laughs) because you already do enough work at work already. One of my clients, she's been working on this with her family uh, because she realized this was really impacting her ability to be the executive that we're working on together. And she was just carrying so much. And I was like, your daughter's 14 years old. She can manage her own time. She does not need you printing out a schedule and putting on the fridge every Monday morning. And she was like, she'll miss practice. I was like, yes, she'll do that twice. And then she'll get in trouble and she'll stop doing it. If she doesn't learn this now, when is she going to learn it? When she goes to university? When she leaves home? Like, when's it going to happen? In addition, she was managing her husband's to-do list. So they would have DIY projects at the weekends. 
And she'd be telling her husband what to do. I was like, why? Why don't you just let him decide? And she's like, well, he might do things in the wrong order. I was like, and? So what? <laughs> He's an adult. Let him decide. To my client, it felt like it would be easier to manage everybody. Because on the surface, it looked like that. Like it would just flow the way she wanted it to flow. But the reality is the overhead of managing everybody. One was creating resentment around the house. They were all being told what to do all the time. So they resisted. And two was making her feel exhausted and like the bad person. And three, she just felt like she had this huge burden. So over the last couple of months, we've been working on letting go of that. Different woman coming to my coaching sessions. <laughs> we can really focus on what's going on at work now because she's no longer in her own head. It did take a couple of uncomfortable weeks where things went wrong a little bit. And then it's just come together. And everybody feels happier because they're not being micromanaged at home. They're no longer resenting it. And they're doing more things for themselves as well. So just check in on that if that's you. But going back to more boundaries that you can put in other ways. The first one I want you to have a think of is dedicating time in your schedule for personal time without the weight of responsibilities. Have personal time that isn't just a luxury, going on a spa day. It isn't crucial because you're about to burn out. It isn't personal time just to be with like managing children. It is personal time for you. I want you to have time every week, ideally every day, just for you, whether it's reading a book, whether it's going and having a facial, like something you would do regularly, doesn't have to be expensive, can just be at home. Reading a book is a great one. I have time every day for reading. It's just a bit of self-care I do for myself. My husband just likes time with the TV. That's his self-care. <laughs> but something for you where you get to be you. Have that boundary. Have dedicated time for you, ideally every day, but at least every week. And then next piece of your toolkit is saying no. Stopping the people-pleasing. This is something I want you to recognize is actually about saying yes to something else. Every time you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else. When you master this, it becomes a shield against the endless excessive demands. And you'll also realize that sometimes people like you saying no. They know that when you say yes, you're going to under-deliver because you've ever-promised. But they feel like they have to ask you because they asked you last time. Or it might be that friends and family are asking you for things and you're afraid of rejecting them. But setting healthy boundaries and managing expectations is key. I really struggled with this one. I had a lot of friends early in my 20s who were extroverts. And I'm such an introvert. <laughs> and so when they would all be wanting to go out, I'm like, no, no, I don't want to. And I was exhausted all the time. I resented being with them. I actually lost friends over this because I couldn't hang out with them anymore. And they got really upset with me. If I'd had boundaries from day one, which is, hey, I'm an introvert. I need time to myself every week. So no, I can't go out with you all the time. Can we just do one night a week or one night a fortnight? For those of you in the US, that's bi-weekly, right? Can we just do that instead? I wouldn't have lost those friends. But I lost those friends because I hurt them in their mind because I was turning them down all the time because I was so exhausted because I didn't know how to say no. By turning off your impulses to say yes, whether it's professionally or personally, with this impulse to say, yes, of course, you're going to find you have freedom. You're going to reclaim your time and your energy for what actually matters to you. Put you first. It's really, really important. Don't forget, if you need tips on how to say no, I do have an episode on that. It's episode 156, which I will link in the show notes. And this leads me to remembering that you aren't your family's project manager. 
have boundaries around this. If you feel like schedules, remembering things, plans, appointments, all that, like big sales, birthday parties is all on you. I already let go of everything. (laughs) Practice putting this back on your family. I know that's hard if you've got tiny little tots around, but is there somebody else you can share this with? Be inclusive in your decision-making at home. It's actually going to set a better example for your kids. If they, they see parents being inclusive with each other in terms of who's responsible for what. Finally, I want you to deal with the decisions that linger, creating that mental clutter, that fog that impacts our clarity and our efficiency. There's a decision pending. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. It's weighty. You want to get it right, but you don't have the data and you don't know how to get the data to make a good decision. This is a real leadership one. And so hopefully many of you have already dealt with this, but I often see this popping up in weird ways. So we might have learned how to make good, fast decisions that are ambiguous in one aspect of our professional lives, but not in others and not at home. Or it might be that you've just not figured this out at all and you always sit with these horrible waiting decisions. You have to learn how to make decisions when faced with ambiguity. It is part of being a great leader. It's also part of being able to move through life with ease. Because here's the thing. When you make a decision, it isn't all or nothing. Sometimes it feels that way. (laughs) But there's always ways to back out of stuff. Even things you're like, this is expensive or hard. So, for example, my husband and I, we're buying a piece of land to build a house on. We've been trying to buy this land for a year, actually. That's another story for another day. <laughs> takes a long time to negotiate some stuff in Scotland. And one of the things is we were like, well, you know, we, we're pretty, pretty sure this is the right piece of land, but there's several things about it that if we didn't get that, then that'd be uncomfortable. But we, we can't figure that out until we own the land and we can pay for certain surveys and things like that. And so it's kind of like, oh, we have to make a decision. Are we going to move forward? Is a chunk of money going to go out? And it might not be the right piece of land. And so what we did was come up with some exit plans. We will lose money. It turns out we paid a lot in legal fees to get to the point we are right now. So we'll lose all that money. But we have an exit plan to recoup the majority of the money if we felt that actually this wasn't for us and we wanted to sell it on. We had an exit plan. We had a pivot point. A lot of the time when we are faced with a big decision, personally or professionally, we sit with them because we're fearful of what happens when it goes wrong. Create yourself an exit plan. (laughs) Create yourself a pivot plan. Know that these unresolved matters accumulate. They're not good for your team. They're not good for your family. They're definitely not good for your mental backlog. They create unnecessary stress and lead to burnout. Ease your mental load. Improve your mental bandwidth. Make the decision if you need to. Make a decision with a backup plan. Make a decision to get more data and make another decision down the road. Have staged decisions. But take the initial decision off your plate. Get through this initial breakpoint and move forward. This is about shifting your whole mindset so that you are always looking forward rather than right here, right now with this workload on top of me, this pain, this hardness. When you do this, you're going to create more space, more calmness, and you're going to be more resilient and more efficient. I really, really want you to put boundaries in place. They are so successful for your work, your personal life, and they stop you burning out. If you want to have more discussions on this, I'd be delighted to. And do remember, this is one of the things that is so important to the work we do as executive coaches. 
So if you need to work on this, come and chat to me and my team and we'd be happy to discuss with you what boundaries you need to be putting in place. Until next time, remember, stay in your tech leadership game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech.